everybody. This is Nancy Miller from My Creative Life, the podcast about creatives, how and why they make the work that they do. And today it is my honor to have James Yang, who is an award-winning editorial and children's book illustrator with me here today. His book, Bus Stop, was selected as an outstanding picture book by the New York Times, and the follow-up, Stop Bot, is the 2020 Geisel Award winner for the most distinguished American book for the beginning readers. His book, A Boy Named Osamu, is the 2022 APAL Honor Award winner. Hi, James. How are you doing today? Well, hi. Nice to meet you, Nancy. Yes, I know. This is the first time. I um, have to say I have been a fan. Um, I read and I own a copy of, of course, uh, this is my favorite look that your recent release. And I really enjoyed it. And so I started following you on Instagram. I saw that you you just seemed like a really nice person. And I'd watched all of the interviews you've done for the Society of Illustrators, and they were just fantastic. Oh, well, thanks a lot. I'm glad to hear that. Um, a Boy Named Asamu definitely is the book that's very near and dear to my heart. So that's great to hear. I'm glad you liked it. Oh, well, thank you for creating it. It's just been a fascinating read. And I wanted to ask you, because you have such an extensive career as an editorial illustrator, like that's originally where I first was aware of your work before you actually started doing children's books. And so I was wondering what inspired you to write and illustrate your own stories um, for children's books. Doors basically just opened for me. I, the way I approached my career, I pretty much just took whatever came my way. So I got a chance to uh, illustrate. Uh, my agent did a great job of showing my book around. He thought I could be a children's book illustrator. Oh. So he showed my portfolio to a bunch of different publishing houses. Since we're both in New York City, that's a very e easy thing to do, especially pre-pandemic, of course. And uh, Harper Collins was the first one to ever ask me to do a children's book. It was a book called Build It Up, Knock It Down by Tom Hunter. So that was my first experience. And it was a great experience because Tom Hunter, he, he's mainly a musician who writes lyrics. So that lyrical kind of children's song verse style fits very well in a children's book format. And then... Um, Working on his book, it gave me a chance to see how the template is created, if that makes sense. And uh, after I finished that book with them, my editor, Simone Kaplan at HarperCollins, she had, they had had this one manuscript by a famous children's book author who I won't amend, who I will not mention, because okay. it, it was sort of the unpublishable story for some reason. And nobody could ever figure out how to uh, translate it visually so they asked me if I would give it a shot so I said sure and I took a look at it and my reaction and I'm usually pretty good at solving problems but I saw this and I'm like oh I see why no one solved this puzzle for decades it's an unsolvable puzzle right <laughs> so I I thought to myself well maybe I can try to write a story so it was just sort of a weird happenstance thing mm -hmm. And I basically wrote the template for what later became um, Joey and Jet, mm -hmm. my first children's book. And I learned how to write from Tom Hunter, basically, just because I saw his lyrical style. So I thought, like, oh, maybe I can write in a very simple style. Are you familiar with the old uh, Dick and Jane books and 
grade school. I don't know if you remember those yes. primaries or not. <laughs> yes, I do. So I love that pattern, you know, like here is, this is Dick, you know, um, this is James. See, that very simple rhythm, you know, they're at home going to school, like that kind of pattern. So I took that kind of pattern, and that's how I started writing books, actually. I just sort of fell into it. And then, and then Simone, she liked the story so much, she actually showed it to other publishers outside of HarperCollins also. And then that's how I kind of got into children's book illustration. I kind of, illustration and writing, I kind of fell into it, actually. Wow, that's amazing. Because I watched on your, um, it was very inspiring when you were in the guest panel for the Society of Illustrators. This was a while back ago, but it was um, art directors and it was also il other illustrators. And it was interesting to hear how you pitch things. <laughs> you said I was, you had a meeting with, um, I think your agent was there and then an editor. And as you were eating, you were like, you quickly said like, uh, it's a story about a boy with a puzzle for a head, you know, and things like that. It was really <laughs> fascinating. Like, are you just that, like, your idea generation? Are you just constantly going and going with ideas for stories? Uh, I think it's sort of the way I think. And it might be because, yeah. you know, I spent most of my career as an editorial illustrator. So that really is about generating ideas, you, you know. And mm -hmm. basically, editorial illustrations are, in one frame, illustrating a premise. And, of course, children's books are doing a premise over many pages. So I think that maybe helped my brain work that way. And it's the kind of thing where a lot of ideas are always swimming in my head. And it might be from books I read as a kid. Okay. Of course, there's Shel Several Silverstein's book, The Missing Piece, right? Mm -hmm. So uh -huh. I kind of always wanted to do my version of it, but in a different direction. So probably, and also this is during my second or third book with my team at back in the day of Simon and Schuster. So I also had a comfort level with it, which is why I was just able to blurt things out. You know, of course, I'm not going to just blurt things out like a comedy where it's like, I got this idea. You know, <laughs> person, I'm not going to do that. But if I've been with editors and art directors mm -hmm. on a book or two, of course, there's a comfort level there to throw ideas at it. So do you think that's really your editorial? It sounds like your editorial background really helped you develop a sense of your your voice for writing in a way or is it just because of more so because of what you've just said about your personal like experiences with like the Dick and, D Dick and Jane books and like the stories that you did illustrate do you feel like that has been more in terms of your voice in writing because I find that that's challenging to find that took a long writing took a long time and to be honest with you I probably did not feel comfortable as a writer until actually uh, appointing Osamu, to be honest with you, because most of my writing followed a pictorial thing. So all my earlier books, I think of them pictorially first, because that's my training. Mm. And I think even a lot of my concepts are because of uh, my editorial training in illustration. And also, I was always known for doing breaking down ideas to the simplest thing that's hopefully the most interesting. And then I also had like a have a very sort of simple style. So I think both of those things definitely led to my voice as a children's book illustrator for sure and as a writer. Well, that leads me to the next question about your writing process. So with the Samu, what was your favorite part of the writing process? You know, it might be the premise. 
because um, actually I was approached by another institution to do a story about Islamu as a boy, but their approach was more academic and a good idea. Yeah, and it, but it was more like you know, Islamu finds this piece of wood, which later becomes this sculpture, that kind of pattern, and. It was really strange. It just sort of struck a chord with me, like, oh, wow, I think I was meant to write an Osamu book, because he was one of my favorite artists even as a kid. You know, in the 60s, he's one of the few uh, role models for me. He's Asian-American, so what a great role model. And I have, and even as a little boy, I loved that period of work. I just, it's just some something that seemed to be inside of me. Um, so... When I heard the pitch, I was sort of like, I don't think I'm the right person for this. And we parted our ways, right? Oh. It just felt like that this should be more of an organic story. So the premise was what I came up with first. And then secondly, I came up with test images because I was, I knew the aesthetic had to be sort of kind of influenced by mid-century at the very least. Okay. So that was step two. And then I did step image, a uh, uh, two or three test random images just to see if there was enough that I could connect with visually to continue this story. And then once we got to that point, then I did have kind of a very rough arc in my head, which I tried to, you know, it was like a sentence, like, okay, it's a journey. And at the end, he sort of creates his own version of home. Because I know this about Noguchi. And then I tried it. So then I pictorially did that. And then I knew in my head, lyrically, how it kind of had to go. And my editor, uh, Tracy Gates at Viking, she gave me this wonderful book to look at, uh, The Iridescence of Birds, mm -hmm. about Henri Matisse. And um, she said, hey, just look at the writing. This might help unlock something with you. And Tracy's amazing, mm -hmm. at least with me, with finding the right influences or suggestions to unlock things. And I just read the first uh, sentence, which was something like, if you're Henri Matisse in France, and I stopped reading, and I'm like, oh. I know how to write this, but I'm scared to read the rest of it because I don't want to subconsciously copy it, right? Yeah. And then I knew that it was like, that's what I need. I need a certain musicality to it. So it kind of all sort of meshes together, and I always take little baby steps to see if it's something that will actually work as a full-fledged story because, trust me, now I have like yeah. three times as many stories where I get to one of the stages and it's like, yeah, this is going nowhere. <laughs> oh, well, that makes me feel better. So that's normal to have that part where you just kind of stop with certain stories because they just don't work out. Or maybe you re do you revisit some of them later on at a different point? You still think like, maybe I'll shelve this, but then I'll. Yeah, you know, and I do feel like sometimes you don't have a skill set at this point in your life mm -hmm. to do the story that you want to say that you feel like you can tell you know, as well as you want to tell it. And I could not, you know, I had a great editorial project with Golf Digest four years ago. And then I was supposed to illustrate, like, they sent me to the masters and they had wanted me to do like eight pages worth of art, which is a normal gig. They have always had a visiting artist go every year. Mm -hmm. So then while I'm panicking about what I'm going to write while I'm there, I mean, what I'm going to draw while I'm down there, they asked me to write a story. And I go, why? And they go, oh, we've seen your Facebook page and you're funny. We think you can do a whole thing. So I, I'm definitely a guy who will dive into things if asked. 
you know, you know, even if I'm think, even if I think it might be a little outside of my skill set, I'm always like, well, why not? Let's give it a shot. But that experience helped me to develop enough confidence to write the way that I wrote for Avoiding the Sonny. Oh, interesting. Because I saw it on your Instagram about the going to the masters. I didn't know that you actually did a whole article for that. And uh, I just was like, wow, that is so cool that just that one experience kind of gave you the push to say, hey, I can do this. Well, well, they're all building blocks, too. And actually, my editor, even Tracy, she she had read the article, too. Uh Yeah. So she sort of scared me a little. I'm a little bit like a kid that needs to be encouraged by my editor you know like, like she's the mama bird right i'm the baby oh. bird in the nest and she's always throwing me out of the nest you know like like you're ready to fly and i'm like really am i i don't know so she had read that um my golf digest story and she told me that i had been holding back on her on the writing and, and that was a you know even at my age and experience it was great to have that kind of confidence from somebody else so she helped give me the confidence also Wow. To, you know, to to write that, like I, suddenly I felt like I'm a good enough writer to write as well as illustrate. Wow, that's amazing because it's so hard to write something distilled down to, um, because the audience is children, and for that story in particular, because um, my background um, early on, I was an art teacher. Like I would read this book, like if I wanted to introduce this artist to my class of like first grade students, second grade, I would read this book. And it would be such, it's done so poetically for the the audience in mind. And they would just be like, because like when I opened the book even, like it's so meant to be like read to an audience. Because like, just, I love this book cover. I, I was just like, oh my gosh, the kids would probably be like, look at, look at, do you see what's, do you see like, it's really more than like sculpture and they would just, love that and then being able to introduce the actual artist's work I think it'd be like just such a nice segue so I'm just I just think it's such a beautiful just beautifully done book and how did you like you've kind of gone into it a little bit but do you find so because you probably then do you not find it challenging to simplify like you've done and distill the story down to such a limited word count well you know that's that's part of the challenge, I and mean, that's the longest process. Is that it was definitely um, wordier and clunkier the first time around, and then there's a lot of writing one version, sending it to my editor, and then she'll give notes, and we sort of both go back and forth, and that could take almost a year, because mm-hmm. a, a lot of it's just sort of, well, let me let's both sit on it and think about it for a while, y- y- you know. But then part of it is. Like this is one of those strange cases where I felt like this book had to have sort of a flowing musical musical quality about it, and it was just an instinct that I had. So that helped a lot of guide how the wording was going to be too. And also, I do enjoy reading my bit books to kids, so I know how just verbally when I read something, if you stumble over it, you know, like when you're reading some children's books. And so in a lot of ways, I write books in a way where I feel like you, me, or anybody else yeah. would have an easy time to be able to to read it out loud to children and hopefully keep them engaged. Because I try to imagine my books a lot of times for children. How can I, how will it sound out loud when I read it to you? 
that's, that's like one of my little hacks, I guess you could call it. So to get that proper flow to the words and that yeah. correspond to the images, that's great. And so because I'd watched like the Society of Illustrators, um, I guess it was like a panel discussion. You had your editor and the art director um, involved in this. And I thought, wow, what an amazing collaboration that you've had with it's it's so collaborative and team like almost like a little team sport that you have going on. And I was wondering, you know, do you have any suggestions early on in the process of creating a children's book that I guess I hope I like phrase this correctly, like to help encourage that collaborative spirit. Like you mentioned your editor gave you a book. Like I feel like there's there was something maybe that or maybe just it's your personality. It's like, what do you think it it was that helped make that great team? Well, you know, it depends on a little bit of luck, to be honest with you. It just, it's, it's like your friends, right? And in some ways, when you get, you always get paired with an editor and an art director in a proper situation. Mm -hmm. And the one of the nice things about children's book illustration as a field, or children's books in general, is yeah. I feel like pretty much everyone is very nice. They're all super nice people, but it is a kind of chemistry thing, too, where it's just how you naturally talk, because um, we could tell pretty early on that we had a good comfort level with each other, and it, and it was just a lucky break, you know, I mean, the art director and I had felt very comfortable with the way that we approached things, so there's trust, so if he suggests something, I'm very open to it, mm -hmm. and he let me know that, like, he's open to me just suggesting whatever, that I don't have to go along with whatever he says and be quiet about it. Okay. And then part of it is also like since through the working process, you sort of develop trust. You know, when I heard, the first time I heard notes from Tracy, I realized, oh, she's really good at making me sound like a better version of me, which is what you want. So I think a lot of it's just when you work with a group of people, you get a feeling like, oh, yeah, this will be a team that I can keep working with. Or, or like, yeah, it was good, but it didn't really feel that organic. And it's just a lot thing. And once we found out that we enjoyed working together, we were like, oh, yeah, we definitely have to keep this band together. So it's a little bit of a random lot thing. And I guess it's just you get to hopefully you get to meet editors or art directors in person at maybe social functions or certain events. And maybe there's some chemistry that clicks between you. Great advice. I mean, because I truly felt like when I watched that panel discussion, I was like, I think they're actually really good. They they seem like they're really genuine friends. I was like, or or at least like to they respect each other's, you know, what they what each person brings. Like there's a level of just trust and respect. So I thought it came across, and I was like, oh, they just genuinely seem to like each other. <laughs> Well, that's, that's true. We, you know, it started out professionally, but we did like each other at the start. And it is a friendship. We we like to have meetings with each other all the time to be social. And a lot of times we'll have phone calls and forget to talk about the book. And then they'll be like, oh, no. And, you know, like, they're going to be busy till next week. I have to remember to ask about my thing yeah. instead of talking about our social stuff. I think that's the... 
it's like most of my working relationships, even in editorial, though, you get to work with people, and if you connect, you actually do become friends. And that's one of the great things about our field, I think, is that you actually do make a lot of great friends in it. Well, that's great to know, because sometimes I wonder if there's a, because there people are just so busy in general, you kind of go like, is it okay to have those little side conversations? Because I'm like, I, I would like to know, like, oh, well, do you, I don't know that you have certain hobbies. What foods do you like? I mean, beyond it just being like, oh, well, we're just focused on the work, which is always the most important thing. But sure. I think it's nice to have that sense of who you're working with and just kind of know that they're a person too. Well, you know, it's really important for doing books because they are such long-term projects. Mm. You know, and um, it is really special when you find an editor you connect with. That's very important. I'm very lucky to have had the editors that I've had. And it's nice because even right, even before talking to you, I was talking with my editor, Tracy, about yeah. our upcoming books. And we have this comfortable thing now where she's able to tell me what I need to hear so I don't go too far off in the wilderness. You know, and I felt comfortable enough to ask her, like, well, will this fly? Will that fly? And then by the time we finish, I kind of have a good idea, like, okay, well, let me just keep, you know, conceptualizing in this direction, and we'll see how it goes. Wow, that's fantastic. So my next question is, as far as how do you stay organized? Because I get a sense, because looking at your Instagram You've got editorial, you have children's books. It's all kind of, I assume, kind of happening simultaneously. Um, That seems like it could be overwhelming to me personally. So do you have any tips on how you stay organized with your projects and time manage things? Well, absolutely. I can't live without a calendar program for, (laughs) obviously, that's the number one thing. So even when I get my projects um, coming in, I always ask, well, when do you want sketches? When are the finals? And then I look at my calendar and drop them in or say, like, you know what? Um, can I maybe have a couple more days to do this or whatever? Or I know if I can or cannot accept the project that way. And part of it is I know how fast I work also. So um, I'm able to schedule things based on that. And I also believe in working to your body rhythms. So I am a very morning person. And I know that in the morning, I'm really good at thinking up ideas. Okay. And then the afternoon or evening, I'm better at executing mm-hmm. uh, because it's more like meditation anyway. So a lot of times it'll be, oh, let me think up ideas in the morning on this. And when I get that done, then I can finish up the final artwork for this project, perhaps. So there's definitely a lot of, juggling back and forth that you learn and a lot of it's just knowing how long it takes you to personally execute work and of course sometimes i guess wrong <laughs> and i'm stuck 24 7 at my desk okay but uh, you, you know that doesn't happen that often it's just every now and then and then i'm so bitter about it that i make sure to schedule better going forward well that's good to know i've been told by other illustrators you should look into a calendar because I said I, I don't know why I don't certain days I'm like I didn't get anything done and I've just been post-it notes all over the place and <laughs> I realized oh I've got like 20 post-it notes I don't even remember what the first 
post-it note was anymore. And so they've been encouraging, like, look into doing a calendar. So I will definitely. Well, you know, and I'm kind of like, I'm definitely a boomer guy. So I still had that whole nine to five rhythm inside of me. So mm -hmm. I, I definitely mentally think of those as work hours. Okay. But in my perfect world, I mean, my typical day, I, I am a pretty fast artist either way. I usually won't wrap up like around three or four-ish anyway. So so that's a benefit, but I definitely treat my days as proper work days during the week, yeah. for sure. Wow. Super old-fashioned that way. If you could travel back in time and give yourself a bit of advice about this career as an artist, um, what would it be? I think... Uh, a couple things is that you do take the opportunities every day that that arrive because you never know which which one will lead you down a path to do something. Because even my children's book career, I did love always love children's books, but I sort of stumbled into it because this one project came along, and I said yes. And my life has been that way a lot. I think I would tell myself to do that. Of course, this is an easy easy one. I wouldn't worry about the future so much like I used to. It's more you take each day at a time and see what happens. Okay. And amazing things can happen doing it that way. Of course, you maybe have dreams and a bucket list, which is great, mm -hmm. but everybody has their own path. So I used to freak out a lot seeing my friends like, oh, how come they got a cover for the New Yorker, but I didn't? Does that mean I'm falling behind? Mm -hmm. And I would explain to everybody that there's many ways to have a successful and satisfying career personally. And it sounds like a cliche, but everybody does have their own way of getting there. And if I had been more comfortable with that, I would have saved myself a lot of anxiety for sure. Oh, that's good. Because I feel like a lot of times, especially when I talk to other artists, like that anxiety, <laughs> it is. it seems to go hand in hand with having a little bit of an art career. And it's good yeah. to have that. Oh, for sure. I I'm not saying that I don't have it. We all have it. One of my friends, it was so funny. Uh, her name is Yuko Shibizu, and oh. she's one of the rock stars, of course, in the illustration world. And, and we'll hang out together. Wow. And, and then even her, she was asking me, like, James, do you think that we'll ever get over this sort of anxious feeling about, you know, projects coming in or whatever? Because we've been doing this for a long time, and I was like, no, I don't think so. It'll probably always be there. So it's just part of the territory, too. Well, that's that's good to know. It's comforting. That's the it's just kind of part of being an artist. And the last thing is, since this is a podcast, where can people see your work? Well, of course, uh, com. You can see a lot of my work. And then if you're in New York City, you may get lucky and see one of the subway cars with my wallpaper in it. Mm. That, that's always good. And of course, uh, children's books. Um, at, I, I have a few, several children's books out, so you can get them from your favorite local bookstore, or of course, there's always Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, or any other online place. Well, thank you so much for being um, a guest on my podcast and sharing your uh, creative journey with us. Um, and everybody, thank you for listening to My Creative Life. Bye. Well, thanks a lot.